This is a Media 8 production. My favourite thing that I love doing is what I call the mums and dads little old lady potholes. That when you have a person who lives near you, comes and knocks on your door and says, my garbage bin's broken and I can't get through to the council, nobody's returned my call for six days. For somebody who's 92, it affects their life. And if I can make a call to the director and say, look, there's this 92-year-old lady, nobody's returning her, can you just fix it up? I'm not pushing ahead of the queue, I'm just saying that she's having trouble getting through. I'm helping her through that bureaucracy. Can you just sort it out? And I'll go through the normal course of things. That will change her life. And at 92 years, she doesn't care about the 10-year plan. She cares about her garbage bin or the pothole. And that's the stuff that gives me the most pleasure. The world is full of amazing people. And once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Human. So, welcome to Awesome Humans. I'm Brett McCallum, your host, at BJ Macker on all the social. And today, we're interviewing a very special person. He's a fourth-generation Chinese-Australian. He's married to an amazing woman, has two teenage children. He has degrees in communication, psychology, and law. He's a small business innovator in the hospitality and education sector. He's a business turnaround specialist. He's been seen as one of the best and worst of government interventions in business. He believes the red tape, over-regulation, the inefficiency are the worst attributes that government impacts on small business. He's actually my first cousin on my mother's side. And he's also a very good friend. He's had an influence on my life from a young age uh, where we, we actually come from a very large family. Uh, and there's only a minority of us out of the 35 first cousins who actually think the way we do. We've got an entrepreneurial mindset. He's a very successful businessman and he's a now sitting councillor with the City of Sydney Council. Welcome, Dr. Craig Chung. Or is it Councillor Craig Chung or is it Chungy or Cuz? Well, it can be anything that you want it to be today, Brett. So, <laughs> Thanks, mate. Uh, except for the doctor. Okay. The doctor. So... Uh, uh, you might have seen there was a post put up by Libs and Nats for uh, Yes, part of the uh, equality campaign, and they put up a post entitled me Dr. Craig Chung. I saw that. Uh, but it's not correct. I don't have a PhD and I'm not a medical doctor. It was just simply a typo, unfortunately. Well, well let's call you Mr. We can just call me Craig. I'll just call you Craig or yeah. Chungy, as Chungy. I always have well, for the last 44 years of my life. Chungy, Chungy <laughs> is what you call me and um, – it's funny when you when you say that uh, your your brother yeah. Dean, Dean calls me sometimes, Out and I can tell it, I can I can tell it's him, uh, apart from his name on the phone because when he answers, he Chungy, he's got a slightly <laughs> different tone to you, Chungy. He hasn't got the radio voice. That's, that's right. <laughs> Mate, we're going to get really informal. We just I just want to have a chat with you. I know you do a lot of these media interviews and stuff like that. We're not a media agency. Uh, this is a podcast, so we can take bits out, we can add bit, but I just like to let it run and I like to let it flow. Um, this is one of the podcasts that I host. Um, this is my favourite. Well, don't tell the other podcasts that. Um, just like when we were kids and you are my favourite, uh, but don't tell the other grandkids. We learnt that from our amazing grandfather, uh, Baba, uh, but the thing was I was actually his favourite. So I just want to throw that in there and you don't get to answer back on that one. Um, we talk to ordinary people who've done some pretty cool shit and uh, who are amazing humans. So that's the reason you're here. I believe you're an amazing human and uh, just want to find out what's going on and share that with the world. Are you happy to proceed? Well, yes, I am happy to proceed, <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm real keen on this whole idea of amazing human and uh, done some pretty amazing shit. I reckon I have seen a bit of stuff yeah. uh, and I've enjoyed um, the uh, roller coaster of life and what life brings you, uh, but I don't think I'm particularly amazing. I just think that that's just what life brings you, and you you do things as they come along. Mate, well, to me, you are, and it's my podcast. So if I want to call you an amazing human, that's why we're going to go with it. So, a couple of things. How's the wife and kids? They're great. Uh, Nicole, uh, my wife, she's uh, fantastic. She's beautiful. She's Still don't understand how that happened. Uh, well, I, you know, all of those metaphors, <laughs> punching above my weight, I'm all the that same sort mate, of so stuff. With you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we did well, didn't we? <laughs> we, we absolutely did. Um, uh, my brother once said to me, did you bribe her? Um, <laughs> but, um, no, she's fantastic. She's, uh, she's an executive in ANZ, uh, works extremely hard. 
Um, I've got two beautiful children, Courtney, who's 16. 16. I know. It's you locked her up yet? Uh, well, I do get worried about um, when we walk down the street and men take a second look. Mm. Uh, so that's why I'm happy to teach her to drive because she's in the car and I can sort of you <laughs> you know, keep her eye on what's going on. <laughs> and then Tristan, who's 13 and he's an amazing cricketer uh, and uh, a, a, a really a good bloke. He's a good kid, yeah. a good man uh, and very, very respectful of the people around him. He's got a good heart. Man, that, that's, that's the best way to be but I think it all comes back from the way we were brought up. I think um, I I'm, I'm personally believe the way that we learn as kids, we teach as, as adults and uh, there's a lot of kids out there that deserve a clip on the back of the year and there's a lot of kids out there that actually respect people and that's one of the biggest things that I've done with my kids and I know with yours is, is a big thing is respect and uh, especially respect your mother, don't, don't talk back to her <laughs> and uh, all that sort of stuff. And I think that's because we were, we were taught that at a young age and uh, I believe that makes for better people. Well, I think respect is really um, makes up a lot of the world and, um, and, and how people can get on and get things done. You know, I'm sure we'll cover things of politics and business and all sorts of things, but the bottom line is really respect. And if you can see things from other people's perspective um, and you can teach your kids to put themselves in other people's shoes... I think that that's a really good learning experience for them. The other thing I think is really good for, for young kids is um, being humble, uh, and I'm sure we'll cover that as well. We will. But, uh, but being humble and um, learning that they have a, a very good life and they shouldn't not enjoy that great life, but they should also respect and um, appreciate that they are living a life which some people don't have. And whether it's living in Australia, which is the greatest country on earth, without doubt, um, in the greatest state, New South Wales, and I agree, that, I live in Queensland, but I'm still a New South Welshman, and, oh, okay. um, and and that they that they have privileges that many other children don't have, um, yes. and don't get those they opportunities. Get they get to eat. <laughs> they get to uh, live with a roof over their head. Absolutely. And there two are parents that they can love and adore them. Absolutely. There are many kids who who don't get to eat, you know, um, full meals each day. That, um, that don't get a uh, lunch pack for them for school, uh, don't have money for school, don't have shoes. Uh, and your and my mothers um, grew up in a, a very um, uh, difficult childhood where they didn't have much money, mm-hmm. where they shared four in a bed. Um, but they grew up happy and they grew up respectful and I think that uh, our children are able to l- learn from their grandparents' lives and build on that. And, you know, appreciate what they've got, enjoy what they've got, but still, um, you know, look back with some humbleness on, on other people who, you know, who don't have what they have. Exactly. And, and I think kindness is the other word. So kindness wins in the end, no matter what happens, respectful and kindness. But I want to go back to the start. Okay. So what's your first ever memory? My first ever memory, speaking of privilege, is sitting on the Mount Krakenbach chairlift in a blizzard. I was two years old and my father showed some kindness and pulled out one of those old um, milk bottle um, lollies. Oh, yeah. Milko wrapped up lollies. Yep. And uh, I remember that still to this day and that's my first ever memory. I've had the conversation with mum and dad about tracing back memories if they remember the the timeline and that's the earliest one that, that, that we can we remember. So I was about two years old. About two years old uh, at the snow. That's what Mount Crackenback is. That's how Mount Crackenback in Threadbow. Yeah. And uh, and I, I remember it was just horrible, the blizzard and blasting against your face. And I do remember thinking, why are we doing this and <laughs> why are they doing this to me? <laughs> so it was torture. <laughs> it was. But, but 48 years later I do appreciate it. No, exactly, mate. Exactly. I, I look back at my childhood and... Uh, you guys had completely different childhood. It's funny how there's four sisters that were that were there, and they all went different ways, and they all did different thing, and married different people. And uh, but every year we got back together at Christmas, and I still remember the early Christmas days where we're sleeping under tables, and we're all fitting in this one little house where the where the, the family grew up. And uh, it was all just everyone was there. And it doesn't matter where you come from, if you had money, you didn't have money, everyone got fed, everyone got Christmas presents. It was amazing, really, when you look back now. It makes you tingle. I, I don't know if you, um, if, if you remember this because you're only a baby. You and I are sort of, I guess, 
four um, years four apart. years apart, yeah. uh, and it's amazing how four years is a big difference. Um, but particularly generational. So I was I guess, the same age as your brother. Um, but one of my earliest memories is staying at your house at Bado Bay, mm-hmm. and um, now it's housing estates and uh, shopping centres. But at the time, um, behind your place was a um, a, a sewage sort of yeah, um, sewage works, yeah, uh, and lots of bush. Um, you were about two years old because you got bitten by a redback spider. I that remember year. that. Yep, yep, and uh, and you survived. Um, and uh, your mum found a death adder in the drain out the front. Oh, I remember that. Wow. So that's one of my earliest memories as well. And that was the same year your younger brother, Nicholas, actually tried to eat the goldfish out of the goldfish bowl in our kitchen. Yeah. But that wasn't unusual for him though. No, he's, uh, <laughs> he's eaten the goldfish or tried to eat the goldfish out of your one. He ate the dog food at, at our other auntie's place. <laughs> um, he's eaten a Christmas bauble that he cracked on the floor. <laughs> and he's plugged in an electric wire and held on to the ends of it and got thrown six feet. In he was survived. a very special child, and he jumped off the uh, the balcony, jumped and off, land, missed the pool, and landed on the yeah, concrete. Landed on the concrete, <laughs> and that was when he was a child. And then finally, when he was about nine or ten, he fell off the chairlift at Perisher Valley um, in the year when there wasn't much snow. And uh, we know the reason how he, we know how he fell off the chairlift because he was. Leaning forward, spitting at people as they were going down, and uh, <laughs> and, and he fell off. And there's karma. The karma bit him on the bum. That's funny. So, mate, other than the 2006 East, sorry, 2016 Eastwood Lunar New Year cooking competition, where you were the crowned the grand champion, what is your greatest achievement in life? Uh, my family. Your family? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I have. Um, uh, a beautiful, wonderful wife um, who who gives me the most um, amazing amount of patience. Um, <laughs> that she is so supportive of um, my entrepreneurial, harebrained, crackpot things that I've done over the years, and your wife will appreciate that too. Hundred percent. And um, um, and my political aspirations. She supported. Not only supported that. Um, I, what's what's a word that's more than supportive? She's actually encouraged me, giving me, she's giving me nurturing and uh, uh, in, in just every way that she could, she has supported me, and um, and, and my children. Um, if there's an achievement, I, I convince my wife to marry me. But uh, together, we've we've produced two amazing children, and we talked about them earlier. Yeah, amazingly respectful. Good kids, smart kids, and all three of them keep me very, very well grounded. Makes you proud, doesn't it? Oh, it does. I mean, it brings a tear to my eye yeah. when, I, when I think of them. And, and you know, we could spend the whole podcast, I could tell you about <laughs> my son's exploits and my daughter's ballet and oh. my wife's work. It's just uh, I'm very proud. No, mate, and, and that's an amazing thing. There's, a lot, there's not enough people out there that, uh, that appreciate um, what we've actually got, and I think that that's an amazing thing. Who was the biggest influence in your life? Um, I've thought about this in the past, you know, and there's no one person that has an influence in your life. There are a lot of people who have a lot of influence in particular parts of your life. Mm -hmm. And so when you um, reflect on your family, you know, of course my mum and dad were very important. You mentioned our grandparents and, and how important they were. Your parents, you know, Arts and uncles, they're all been very, very important. So in a in a family context, I would think that the my my, my dad is very, very important to me. Mm-hmm. And he's very important to the things that I've learned. And I value his opinion and his views. And my mum, she uh, is a person who has sometimes an ability to break down a very complex argument that I'll be having with my dad <laughs> into a very simple sentence and both of us will turn to her and go, wow, that's amazing. We've been speaking on this for three hours and you resolved it in 30 seconds. Yeah, so, you know, they obviously have an important impact on my life. What about in business? Who's, who's the, one of the biggest influences, not in politics but in business? Oh, there's a lot of people um, that I respect in business and, and it's whenever you pick out one person, mm. 
you're always in danger of being criticised because that person has one one foible or fa- failure that other people will criticise. And I guess that's a political hesitancy in me in, in choosing one. You've turned um, but an our politician. Well, no, I, I, look, there are people that I will name and there are several of them. Um, you know, Richard Branson, I think, Agree. is a no-brainer. Yep. Um, he's entrepreneurial. He's mm-hmm. unashamedly an entrepreneur. Yep. And I, th- I like that. I like the fact that he doesn't hide that he's trying to build wealth and equity, earn money for his shareholders and, his, and, and the people that are there. He's smart. He's... Um, He's in show business. He, he's, he does all those things. And when you read any of his books and you read other commentaries, and I think sometimes reading other people's commentaries are, are much, more, much more valuable, you know, you see how he's, he's taken businesses that nobody wanted. They were ugly, yep. ugly bits. You know, you know his, his tubular bell success. Unbelievable. Nobody wanted to touch it. And that was what made him, you know, you know potentially that's what made him today. Tubular bells, uh, without doubt, without doubt. Um, and you know, there are there are others who who I respect um, a great deal for some of the things that they did, if not for the person. Kerry Pack is a person who I have a great deal of respect for for being um, a, a person with foresight and vision um, for his time. World Series cricket, for instance, we would not be seeing today T Twenties, Big Bash those sorts of things, had Kerry Packer not revolutionised cricket like he did. Without doubt. He, he was one of those guys that I actually, I think Packer and Branson are similar in a lot of ways in the, in the um, they don't care, <laughs> they just do. Mm-hmm. And the big thing, I just finished uh, listening because I, I listened to a lot of books um, to Finding My Virginity, which is uh, Branson's newest autobiography. So it's, it's part two in the trilogy that he's, he's now announced that the third one will come on his 90th birthday, um, which was Found My Virginity is, is what he's going to call his third one. But what you find is that um, some of the stuff these guys do, they disrupt. They actually go and have a crack. And I think that comes down. Kerry Packer was a genius at it, and he didn't care what people th- what people think of him. Um, one of my favourite books at the moment is uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck, and that teaches you that you only have a certain amount of, of fucks in a bucket to give in your whole life. So only give them to the things that matter. And guys like Kerry Packer and Richard Branson. I'm a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't know if you listen to Gary V much. But um, these guys who are inspirational, but it's not just talk. Like There's a lot of guys out there on the circuit that just talk and that. These guys actually have done or do. And I think to me personally, from an influence point of view in business, that, that's, that's very, very important. If I think about people who have influenced me in business and then I reflect on what I do in business, uh, I'm a, a person who takes some really ugly businesses that people don't want. Yep. I've taken pubs that are dirty, grotty, failed, broke, bankrupt pubs with drunks and spew on the floor and everybody says there's no way I'm going near that. And I love that because I have I can see a vision for that. I'm not scared of it and I'll have a go. So those people who are prepared to take a big risk but they have a vision, they're the ones I really like. They're yeah. the guys and the girls and the ladies who really um, – um, have an influence on me because I respect the fact that they can take a calculated risk. It doesn't always work and it's not meant to, but you, you take a risk with a vision. So that's a good point. And a lot of times it doesn't work. Um, I've written a book which I never published, but called I Failed and So Did They. And what I did was about, I've failed a lot of times, but I, at the same time, what I did was I um, then put that back onto all those people that have had influences Branson, Trump. Gary Vayner, all these people that have actually failed in life at different things. And when you look, there's 99% of them have had failures. What do you think of failure? How do you, how do you think failure is? I think it's a lesson in life. Move on and, and learn from that lesson. Don't do it again. What, what's your thoughts on failure? You don't learn from success. You learn from failure. 100%. So, you know, um, something which I don't share with a lot of people, so just between you and I. And the 1.6 million listeners to this? Well, we'll keep it all between ourselves, then, okay. won't we? Um, you know, I've had one one particularly bad business deal and I lost millions and that was more than 10 years ago mm-hmm. and I still pay for it today. <laughs> but it shapes a lot of the way that I think about business now and it shapes a lot of the way that I think about 
um, um, the, the, the millions and billions of dollars that we spend in government and yep. how I think about those decisions. Uh, and so it was a very valuable lesson. Uh, and you buy lessons in those losses. A hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know, of course I look back and think, oh, gee, I wish I didn't do that. <laughs> uh, but that's part of the lesson, isn't it? It has to be. It's just like when I'm talking to my son about cricket and talk to him about how did you get out in that shot. He comes off and he thinks about how did you get out in that shot. It's a very valuable lesson at 13 years old. Hopefully he won't do that shot again. Yeah, or he'll try not to. Or he'll try not to. And if he does, he'll learn from that again. That's exactly right. So there's no, there's no, um, there's no shame in failure. Uh, agree. And, and that's, that's one of the things a, a person said to me the other week, that she wasn't bankrupt, she was financially flatlined. And I loved it, just from the fact because there is such a big um, bad thing about someone going bankrupt and all that, but she was financially flatlined. And it's like, so what are you going to do about that? She goes, get it pumping again. That's what happens when you're flatlined, you get it started again. And just the way that she said that to me, it stuck with me. And I, and I sort of, that's actually probably one of the best things I've heard in a long time, just in regards to failure and, and sort of kickstarting that again. So now you're a politician. So I've always had thoughts about getting into politics and I know we've spoke about this over beers many many years ago and one of the things is I absolutely love politics but I also hate politics. I'll tell you a little story what's happening at the moment in Queensland. On Sunday Anastasia Palaszczuk who I'm not a big fan of and I'll say that now she's with the Labor Party up in Queensland. She's the one that fell over the line and uh, what happened there there was only eight um, they only had eight sitting members and Campbell Newman became a dictator and he stuffed it up and anyway, she ended up becoming Premier accidentally. So now um, what happens is she announces the election at 12.30. At 12.41, there's an advert on the television that would cost millions of dollars to do that actually bags out Tim Nichols, who's the LNP leader, and compares him to Campbell Newman. So she's gone within 11 minutes of the announcement straight to television put these bagging out the opposition campaign. What a normal person would do in the real world, which is not politics, would actually, hi, I'm Anastasia and this is what I've done in the last three years of government, please elect me again because I'm awesome. No, let's just bag out. Every advert, everything you see now is just bagging people out. So then I look and I talk to my wife about it and she goes, I never want you in politics. You can make more of a change outside of politics, disrupting society, disrupting business, disrupting that, and actually telling the truth and be honest. Then you got into politics. And I know many years ago you, you were um, running for, I think it was local government, or might have been state government, and, and you weren't successful at the time. And I always come back and say, why did you do that? And I remember sitting on, your, on a couch at one of your houses, or actually might have been in one of the pubs that you had, and you're sitting there because I want to make a difference. I want to actually make a difference in this, and I can do that. And then when I found out uh, probably four years ago when you got elected on the ride council, I was really proud of you, and, uh, and it, was, it was excellent because you got somewhere you wanted to be. And then most recently, I think it was last year, 2016, when you got... Um, elected to the Sydney city, the city of Sydney Council, which is massive. It's the, I think it's the third biggest council uh, in Australia, or second or third biggest council in Australia. And um, that's awesome, mate. And once again, I'm, I'm very proud of you for, for achieving that goal. But why? The question is why? What difference can you make? And can you actually make a difference? And you don't get paid lots of money. Well, I'm sure you don't get paid lots of money to be a, a councillor. Why? Why council instead of state or federal? There's lots of questions. Let's start. Come on. Why a politician? Well, which question do you want to start Politician. With? Why are you a politician? Why a politician? Well, interestingly, I, I don't consider myself to be a politician. I um, uh, recognise that that's what I am and I'm elected to, to uh, local government. So once you're elected, you know, you're a politician. <laughs> uh, look, I, I want to go back to the first bit that you talked about and about making a difference from outside. Peter Garrett's a great example. Um, uh, not um, happy with Peter at the moment. Well, look, you might not be happy with Peter at the moment, but let's just go back to 10 to 1 and yep. they were the glory days of our lives. 100%. You I know? actually went to Midnight Oil two weeks ago on the Sunshine Coast, one of the best concerts in history till he started bagging out Tony Abbott, Pauline Hanson, all these people on stage. Wow. That, that, that yeah, stuff no, well, shits me Well, still. look, the thing is, um, had, he, had he done that and bagged out people but not gone into parliament, you might have, you know, stood there and copped it. Yep. Um, but for a guy who went in um, and decided he was going to work from the inside 
then become the environment minister because that's what he was most interested in. At the absolute abject horror of his own Labor colleagues who said to him, do not do it, do not do it, do not do it. He said, no, this is what I want my whole life. Went in there and the rest is history, screwed it up. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to bag him out. I'm trying to say that sometimes some people are better outside yep. and make a big difference from outside uh, to their core constituency. And if his issue was things about environment and those sorts of things, well, that's what he should have stayed doing on the outside doing that. But as the environment minister, he had to approve mines. You know, so it's, you know, it's a very, very difficult position for him to yep. take now to say that, that I hate mines. Some people have all different roles in life. You're, you're taking on right now in this podcast uh, um, a, a really important role where you're interviewing people and talking about their lives and how they influence you and, and hopefully that you know, is a reflection for other people about their lives and you know, what they can contribute. And that's a great contribution. Yep. Everybody has a contribution to make. I particularly like getting things done and I get very frustrated when I... Uh, listen to politicians and see them behaving in a way which I just think um, is, frankly, weak. Agree, 100%. So, you know, I don't want to talk about any particular politicians because that makes me just as bad bagging them out. But what I don't like is politicians who just find it difficult to speak the truth um, who find it difficult to just accept the realities of what mums and dads in the street are talking about. And um, for those politicians who've never had a real job, who've only ever worked for a union, who've only ever been a staffer, um, you know, my challenge to them is to go and talk to mums and dads and find out what it is that they really think about. Because uh, right now, it's late afternoon uh, in Sydney, there are mums and dads who are rushing to get to childcare before it closes, otherwise they're getting a $10 per minute fine for picking up the kids late. But they haven't got dinner organised yet, so they're stopping with the kids in the back of the car to get dinner, get home, cook dinner, make lunches for tomorrow, get the, get the, the, the school bags ready, get the kids' bath into bed and homework done, uh, and then perhaps talk to their partner before they even get to bed. Yeah. And that's the real world that goes on out there and not enough politicians have had that experience. Um, and so I think that I've had some of that experience in, oh, in business. Um, I've had that experience in family. I've had that experience in a number of different ways. Uh, and I think I've got something to contribute and I think it's a valuable contribution um, to be able to take their experiences in that part of my life. So can you actually achieve anything? Well, yeah, you can. You can? Yeah, you can. Excellent. Um, um, I think that we can achieve things uh, in all of our own little ways. So I'm here in the city of Sydney. I'm a Liberal. So uh, I'm on the wrong side of the table to Clover and she's got the numbers. Yeah. Uh, but the Lord Mayor, Clover Moore, um, she votes and uh, rams through her you know, $11.3 million you know, <laughs> tapeworm architecture That's in the city. Right. And, uh, and we could spend that better, I believe, on homelessness services. Yeah. Um, on developing our smart city um, uh, agenda, um, on helping people who, uh, who with housing affordability or who are hungry. So that's um, my point though, right, is you've just hit the nail on the head for me and that is that you've got one side of government that's actually doing these stupid things and you know you could spend that $11 million differently. You know you could actually walk out to the park out here and actually put some of those people into housing or into care or whatever that needs to be but you can't because you haven't got the numbers. So does that not frustrate you to then realise that you can't actually do anything? That, this, is where, this is where I get lost in the whole process, is that if you don't have the numbers, how can you make things happen? Well, you did right. I would love to have um, the hold of the half a billion dollar budget that the Lord Mayor has. Wow. Mind you of that, she has three and a half million dollar personal budget that she doesn't have to account for and 23 personal staff and a chauffeur-driven car. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> I, um, of course, I, you know, if, if the Lord Mayor doesn't like a proposal that I put forward, her party will vote it down and she yeah. has a political party called the Clovermore Party and they can vote it down. But I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, just last Thursday, 
I signed on behalf of the city um, a, um, a pledge for Sydney to be a supportive employer under the Australian Defence Force Reserves. And that was approved by the CEO, approved by the city. Uh, the city's director of workforce um, planning came along and signed it as well. That's amazing. And we did that um, because we want to support any of our employees who are in the Defence Force Reserves. And what I did was I matched up the Defence Force Reserves with the local Chamber of Commerce and we brought in 70 or 80 businesses to come and witness this and for me to be able to say to them, the city as a leadership organisation is doing this for their employees, why don't you have a think about it too? And I'm told that a number of people have signed up to it already. That's great. So I might not have the numbers on the floor to spend $11.3 million on the tapeworm street art, but on the ground there are ways in which you can make an impact on people's lives. And if I can say just one more. Yeah, of course. I spend a lot of time with community groups and one of my favourite is dancing for Parkinson's. Now, Parkinson's is a dreadful disease and it affects people f- your or my age through to elderly people. And it's a dreadful, debilitating disease. Now, I spend a fair bit of time with, with those groups, talking to them and learning myself about, uh, about their disease and their illnesses. But how do I make a difference? I talk to you about it and I'm talking to you about it today and hopefully there are people that will take notice. I talk to other people about it. I assist these people to get spaces where they can go and do their um, their classes, where they can actually have their support group meetings and when they need to, to, to move because they've grown beyond the space that they're in, that I can help them do that because I'm on the city council and I can perhaps help them find the right person to, to do that. I can help them find a space in the town hall to come and do a showcase that they can show to the world and talk about the disease and the dreadful effect that it has on them and their families. So I think that's a really important thing. And the last thing, I think, is that, um, that adversity and resilience are important things that we need to, to, to respect in our society. And just because I don't today have a half a billion dollar budget to spend doesn't mean that you can't make a contribution. And I think that's a really important message for people who want to be involved in changing the world, whether or not it's in politics or through Amnesty International or through being a rock star. I think it's important to say that you can contribute you can have an impact and uh, it's va- valuable. And it doesn't have to be this way, it doesn't have to be that way, but if you set out to make a difference, a positive difference to the world, that's a good thing. Uh, and I agree wholeheartedly. My still concern is can you do while you're talking there, everything you just said there, can you do that without being a counsellor or does the counsellor enable you to do that? Well, the reality is that in elected office, our job here in the city of Sydney or in any other council in Australia is um, to set the strategic direction for the council. Yep. That's the job of a councillor. You're like a board of a company. But the reality is different. Local government is very close to people. You spend a lot of time with community groups. You spend a lot of time with the soccer club and the local fates and the local you know, um, uh, music society. Um, and because you're a councillor, they are often asking you for assistance with whatever their problem is. Um, I often get asked, what do you like best about being a councillor? And of course, being a part of setting a strategic direction for a big city, a global city like Sydney, is, is, is a great um, feeling to be able to say that the, the decisions we're making today about the 10-year plan are going to affect this city for a long, long time. But my favourite thing that I love doing It's what I call the mums and dads little old lady potholes. That when you have a person who lives near you, comes and knocks on your door and says, my garbage bin's broken and I can't get through to the council, nobody's returned my call for six days. For somebody who's 92, that affects their life. Yeah, for sure. It affects their life. And if I can make a call to the director and say, look, there's this 92-year-old lady, nobody's returning her can you just fix it up? I'm not pushing ahead of the queue. I'm just saying that she's having trouble getting through. I'm helping her through that bureaucracy. Can you just sort it out? And they'll go through the normal course of things. That will change her life. And at 92 years, she doesn't care about the 10-year plan. She cares about her garbage bin or the pothole. Yep. And that's the stuff that gives me the most pleasure. 
So it's really contradictory because a council's job is strategic planning for the council, but it's the little old ladies, the mums and dads, yeah. potholes. Making a difference to people's everyday life. Absolutely. So my last question on politics, second last question is, why council, why not state, why not federal? Well, uh, I'd never say no to looking at the next rung on the ladder. Mm-hmm. So is that I the way you see it? Do you see it as rungs on the ladder? No, I, I don't see it as rungs on the ladder, but that's a, I, I use that as a, you know, a, a, a turn of phrase. But, you know, I, I would, I, of course, if the opportunity came along, I would like to, to think about other opportunities. Um, is that because you can help more people as opposed to obviously the City of Sydney, you look after the people in the City of Sydney. If you were, say, in state, you look after the people in New South Wales or federal, you look after the whole of Australia. Is, is that because you can sort of broaden that horizon? I think it's because you can broaden the horizon, but but I have I have um, some you know policy views that I would like to be able to to implement you know uh, in a bigger sphere, whether it's state or in federal. But I'm I'm particularly happy though serving here in Sydney, uh, and right now this is something which I spend almost full time on. And you're right, we don't get paid; we get thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, it's public knowledge; we get yeah. thirty thousand dollars. It's it's barely petrol money, but um, you don't go into this and you don't go into politics for money. Yes. And I know that there's always a lot of criticism of, of, of some politicians about the money that they, that they um, take from their entitlements, which is a terrible word. It's not entitlements. Um, nobody's entitled to that. Um, <laughs> of course. But, um, but by and large, people don't go into politics because they're going into it for the money. They're going into it because they believe uh, in what they're doing. Uh, and even if I don't agree with them, Yes. I, I generally believe that people go into politics because they think they can make a difference and I respect that. For the right reasons. Yeah, okay. So you, you mentioned um, uh, that obviously you don't get paid a lot of money. Does that mean you also run businesses outside of council still? Are you, are you allowed to have a job or, or are you, how, how does that work? Well, well you can't um, be on council without having a source of income. Yeah, of course. Uh, because uh, as I said, it's $30,000. Um, I'm, I've been in small business for, for more than 20 years and I continue to, to run my businesses. As you said, I'm an entrepreneur, so uh, I, I look for opportunities uh, as they come along. Uh, I've, I've been in the pub business since 1997. Wow. Um, so we've bought um, failed bankrupt pubs and fixed them up and, um, and sold them. Uh, and being a publican is very much like being a councillor uh, <laughs> on a council where um, you're there, you talk to a lot of people, you listen to a lot of people telling you their problems yeah. uh, and finding ways to um, help them out. And very much very much a, a very similar thing. There's two, two um, levellers, I think, um, uh, in Australia, two places which level people. Uh, you mentioned earlier on that I, I, I trained as a lawyer and I don't practice as a lawyer, but I did a little bit of work as a lawyer. Two places where people are absolutely levelled is the front bar of any pub in Australia. <laughs> so true. If you big note yourself, you'll get slapped down pretty quick. Yeah. Doesn't matter who you are. And you could be the future Prince Mary, Princess Mary. Um, it's a place where you go to have a chat, talk to people, meet people. and uh, But if you try and big note yourself... People will knock you down pretty quick um, and I love that about a front bar, that there are people in there, there are lawyers, there's crooks, there's businessmen, there's carpenters and there's you know labourers, all in the front bar, having a beer, just having a chat about the day. Just a g'day mate, how you going? That's right. The second place, which is a great lever, is the local court at the Downing Centre in Sydney. The Downing Centre <laughs> is the big law courts here in Sydney. And the local court, you've got spivs and businessmen and politicians and petty criminals and crooks <laughs> all mixed in the same place and they're all there for everything from murder to grand larceny to driving offences. Yeah. But you know what? In that one place there, they're all the same. you're all mixed together. <laughs> and that politician there who's, you know, done something wrong will be standing next to the petty criminal who's been breaking into the house next door to feed his heroin habit. It's a great leveller. Uh, and I, I, I really like that idea about Australian society that Australia is a place generally where um, 
we, we respect each other for who we are, but we have an expectation that you don't think yourself as better than the next guy. Yeah, that's very true as well. And I think that that's... And if you do, you get a slap and then you, you don't do. think that anymore. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's and the it's, whole front bar thing, isn't it? It is, and it's so, and it's so, uh, it's so true. Um, and I think that um, people respect that people are successful or they'll respect that you're a lawyer or you're a judge or that you're a labourer. But as long as you continue that respect, you'll get on well in life in Australia. But the no, moment that you think that you're better or whatever than anybody else, then you're not going to be very popular in that front bar. <laughs> I love the analogy of the front bar, though. It's just so true in life. It's it's business, it's life, it's everything. It's like it's the place where things happen. And it's it's ironic in a way that you're a councillor elected now, but in a bar you're actually a councillor because you're helping people from a, from a day-to-day type stuff. So that's pretty good. Um, obviously, I got all the looks in the family. Um, being the Anglo-Saxon and yourself um, with the the Asian influence. In po- on a serious note, in politics, do you think that obviously Sydney is now a lot more? Um, there's there's a lot more nationalities now in Sydney. Um, I haven't been in Sydney for a long time. I've been uh, been in Brisbane for for twelve years, uh, and prior to that, I was in London for ten. Do you think that the city's changed uh, a lot during that period? And what influence um, does Asian culture now having on Sydney? Well, um, uh, all of us who vote, we're all Aussies. I agree, yep. Um, and that's not a racist comment at all. I no, don't, no, don't no, take no, it no, no, I didn't take it yeah. as that. But I'm, I'm pointing out that uh, we're all Aussies. Uh, we come from different cultural ancestry mm-hmm. um, and uh, by, by statistical definition, the majority of us are immigrants um, by ancestry. Yes. Uh, and I think that's important to remember. I think that one of the things which really upsets me about, um, about discussions about race and ethnicity in Australia is that uh, people forget that we are, are um, a, a race, uh, sorry, a nation of, of immigrants from... 1788. Yes. And our original inhabitants who looked after this land for 60 to 80,000 years, uh, nurtured it, um, looked after it, uh, and we wouldn't have the privilege of living here today if it wasn't for the way that they looked after the land. They're the only original inhabitants. The rest of us are all, all, all immigrants by ancestry. Which, which is ironic with Article 42 in the federal government at the moment where all these people are finding out they're actually other nationalities and they're getting booted out of parliament. Well, look, look, <laughs> look it's, it's, I don't know um, about 42, it's 44. 44? 44. Oh, 44, sorry, 44. 44. I got the wrong. Um, and they're, they're all worried about, you know, where they're born. You know, um, we're, we're hearing today that the, um, that the Senate president's resigned today because he found out his, his British father was born <laughs> in England. I don't know how he didn't know that. But anyway, uh, we'll leave that aside. Look, I think it's making, I mean, on that particular debate, it's making a lot of people reflect on, on what is Australian and how do you serve. Uh, and I have to say that I don't agree with, with um, some of the ways in which um, the Section 44 is is being interpreted. Um, now, whether you like Barnaby Joyce or not, or whether you like Scott Ludlam or not, um, if you're born here and you have very little knowledge about where your parents were born and you've never sought to take that that citizenship, I, I don't think it's fair that we should be questioning their loyalty to, to the country. But that's a bigger question and that's a question for constitutional experts and we'll let them but sort that But I see that, that as one of these other things of when we mentioned earlier in regards to how one, the, the, lab, the Labor government versus the Liberal government, they're just bagging each other out. Um, that was all brought up because they someone looked into it and thought, oh, wow, we can maybe get him off, off that seat so then he can do this and that. And it just comes to, it's like, and, and I agree, Barn- some people don't like Barnaby, some people do. I don't really care. But at the same time, he's a fourth generation Australian. They've lived in the same town for over 100 years. And he then finds out that he's a Kiwi. Well, welcome to the world of, of, of racist um, uh, views about where people come from and how they look, you know. Mm. 
you asked the original question about how Sydney's changed. Uh, Chinese have been in Sydney since 1814. Mm-hmm. That's only 30-odd years after the settlement of the colony. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'd like to point out the first Chinaman who landed in Australia, Johnny Shaying, was a publican. Oh, there you go. Yes, yeah, the, pub- <laughs> the public house out in Parramatta. Yep. And the Chinese have inhabited Sydney since then. My great-grandfather, um, uh, Chan Lun or Charlie Chan, uh, he uh, arrived in Sydney in 1882. Wow. From a place called Dunggun, which is in uh, near Guangzhou, between Hong Kong and Guangzhou in southern China. Uh, and he came here, he was a merchant, he sold fabric and stuff like that. He did very, very well in Sydney. But that was a time of Sydney where you can just picture the merchants running around and people coming and going and um, you'd have street hawkers coming to my great-grandfather's shop to buy fabric and go out to the suburbs to sell it to the housewives. Hustle and bustle. The hustle and bustle. Yeah. Uh, but racism's always been there because the British were the first Europeans to be here and um, the Chinese weren't well-liked. But the Chinese have been a really important part of the fabric of Sydney and originally the Cantonese and now the Mandarin Chinese. And they started in the rocks and they've sort of spread down George Street towards the Haymarket. But around Australia, the Chinese have had an enormous impact on the, on the fabric of Australia and um, the, the economy and the culture um, uh, has been... You know, uh, very, very. If you can't go to an Australian country town without having Chinese in the RSL. Oh, for sure. You Best know, Chinese restaurants that, in the world that, are in the that, local golf club. That's right. Um, I'm talking about the Chinese, I guess, because my my father uh, and my my father's side of the family has a cultural heritage. But there are many cultures who have just contributed so much to Australian life. You think about the Greeks and the Italians. We would never have had the Snowy Mountain scheme without the work and the labour and the skill that they brought with them to do that uh, and the road building for that matter. Uh, and then, you know, later on the, 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 the refos, the, the refugees from, from Vietnam who came here by boat and you think about some of those uh, and how they've contributed to, to the Australian society and the Australian community. And you think about then uh, even later on, we wouldn't have um, we wouldn't have you know falafel and, and kebabs if it wasn't for the <laughs> Lebanese uh, that came and brought that that with them. Uh, and I know that people like to reflect sometime on some of the negative bits of those societies, but we're we're this amazing great melting pot. And I often say that that being able to walk down the street Fortitude Valley and have a kebab in one shop or soy gao in another shop or or, or um, or any other food for that matter, and hear the, hear the voices and the language and the smells. It wouldn't be Australia without that. Yeah, uh, and that's the same as anywhere in Australia that we have such an important, rich heritage of of cultures, and it's all of those things that come together. It is, and I feel safe in Australia. It's amazing. I've travelled around the world. I've lived all around the world, and I feel safe back here. Like, and there is the mix of culture. There is that. There is a lot of. Uh, I was in a cab on the way from the airport today, and I was speaking to the cabbie, and he was from Iraq, and he'd been here eight years, and he had a baby last week, and he was just telling me how tough it is to live in the city, and he lives out at Auburn, and he was telling me, and we had a really good conversation. His English wasn't very good, but we had a great conversation. And when I got to the the thing, I, I thanked him very much, and. He was, uh, and congratulations on your baby. And the thing is, this is the new Australia and it's always been the new Australia though. As you say, we've only been here since 1788. You look at it and the cultural diversity of this country is amazing. And um, I'm a big fan of the Bao, how, I don't know how to say it now, the Bao Bao buns, Bao Bao buns. Yeah, big fan of the Bao buns. And, and Chinese food in itself is, is just one of those, those things. And... A good friend of my wife, they, they invented charcoal chicken and they brought it to Australia and um, they now uh, do very well for themselves but they still work, like 75 years old, still working seven-day weeks and stuff like that. And I think a lot of Australians um, can learn from that and I think they can uh, be a lot more active and they can actually go out there and have a crack. These guys are entrepreneurs. And I, I, I tell you quickly about a little story. I love entrepreneurial stories. You and I are both businessmen and, and, and this is a thing that we love. I met this guy called Sam Bedrosian, and uh, he's um, he owns a, a company called Sam's Group, and he's Armenian. 
Uh, and the Armenians in history have had a pretty tough life. You know, they've had the Armenian genocide and um, the, life hasn't been particularly good to the Armenian people uh, in some parts of the world. But in Australia, we've got a great Armenian community. In fact, our premier in New South Wales is Armenian, Gladys Berejiklian. Anyway, so Sam, I said to Sam, what are you doing? He says, uh, I'm a watchmaker, <laughs> very proudly. And he's in his late 70s. I'm a watchmaker. And, uh, and I said, oh, great. So um, do you have a shop here in Sydney? No, 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 I have a factory. And who said manufacturing was dead in Australia? I went to visit his place here in the CBD and I went through the high security to get into the shop and I'm thinking, why is there such high security? Well, Sam's group of company produces 70,000 watches a year. Oh, wow. From a CBD premise. Wow. He's also the largest dealer in pink argyle diamonds in Australia. Oh, okay then. Uh, and he's a guy who came here with a small suitcase he calls a school bag and um, he said that like all immigrants, he was handed a broom and said, here's your job, sweep the floors. And he said after a couple of weeks, he said, I'm, I, I don't want to do this anymore. So he went and, got a, he went and looked in the paper and uh, found a job as a watchmaker. Now, he wasn't a trained watchmaker in... Um, in Armenia, but he learned how to do it and he went there and the rest is history. He grew this business, 70,000 watches a year, largest dealer in pink argyle diamonds, <laughs> still operating in a premises here in Sydney. Wow. What a great story. I love these great stories of entrepreneurs, very often immigrant stories, people who come here with us with adversity and tough times but make their life so good. And this is a man who's extremely generous. When I went to his office on his wall, it's full of um, appreciation um, plaques from people who where he's donated money to different schools and different yeah. charities and that's what he does. And he told me, he says, I don't need the money. I just like this business. Oh, that's amazing. And you know what? If he's got kids, he'll teach his kids that and they'll teach their kids that and they'll teach their kids that. Um, I've got a great story. My youngest daughter, she's 13 years old now, and she said to me, hey, Dad, can I sell one of those skateboards out of the garage? And I said, yeah, of course you can, doll. She goes, do you mind if I put this together and this together? No, go for your life. She's now started her own skateboard business, a big skate. It's, it's going to go on Kickstarter in the next couple of weeks. There's a plug for you, darling. Um, but what, what, what she's done is she's actually gone out on her own as a 13-year-old kid and worked out how to do it. And my wife just uh, come to me and shook her head and said, I hope she doesn't end up like you, darling. <laughs> and, uh, I said, I hope she does. Well, but, she's much better looking than you, so she'll be fine. <laughs> she's got a mother's look. So, yeah, but I just and, – and those stories are amazing where you, where you get – that's come from years and years and years and they've just passed it down through the ages. I, I think that's awesome. Well, we're going to wrap up shortly, but it would be wrong for me without asking you these next two things. I just want your thoughts, quick-fire thoughts. This bloke was an influence to me in my early career and as an entrepreneur. Um, he then went into politics and I don't know whether he's done a good or bad job. That's Donald Trump. What's your thoughts? Do you have any thoughts? Do you care? Well, I need to give you a long sentence and I know you want a short sentence, but the long sentence is this, is that I think ultimately Donald Trump is going to be a circuit breaker. I think that um, um, it's almost like the, 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 the president they had to have because – you know, the last election um, we had on one side this caricature of everything that is bad about America, <laughs> of this this showbiz flashy guy, gold and 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 sexist misogynist guy, and then on the other side we had the ultimate insider, privileged political family of the Clintons, and they're both bad and badder. Yes, and the and the American people had to choose. Now they've chosen one of them, and I don't agree with that choice, but. But sure was the other I, choice better? Exactly. I'm not sure if I agree with the other choice either. So I reckon maybe he might be the short circuit that America needs as long as we all survive as a globe while he's there for the next couple of years. Yeah, no, that's, a, that's fair enough too. And, and the thing is um, I think living his life on Twitter and things like that does him really bad and it's really stupid but at the same time um, people start to understand what they've actually really voted in and I think that should make them nervous but at the same time who knows? The world's got to take a bit of a uh, – the world's politicians, I'm sorry, have got to take a big long look at themselves. Uh, and if Americans have been pushed 
to vote in Trump. Um, and if the um, Europeans are having the trouble that they're having and if the, the political class of England was so smug that they were going to stay in the union and they didn't and all of those things, um, I think that the political class of the world have to have a look at themselves and say, we can do much better than this. We need to be start to being much more honest with people, speaking honestly, none of these weasel words. Um, if the answer is yes, just say yes. Don't give me you know, an, a half answer of a yep. maybe. Yes or no. Simple. Okay, now the next one. I know you've already spoken out on this, so I'm happy to ask you the question. Um, my best friend is gay. Um, one of our cousins actually uh, yesterday got engaged. Um, Dom got engaged in uh, in China, and uh, he um, he's very happily, obviously, engaged now. Gay marriage. Um, to me, I feel very strongly that I voted yes, and uh, but I feel very strongly that Australia's wasted 122 million dollars on a vote. That's a that was a political action that happened. I know within the party, within, and, you're, and you're part of the – so you can answer this or not either way um, – is that I believe it was a complete waste of money. We should either use technology to do that if that's what they wanted to do or they should have just passed it through or whatever way they were going to do it in parliament. I don't believe that we should have went out for a $122 million vote. Thoughts? Uh, I agree. <laughs> uh, what a waste of $122 million. We were talking earlier about the money that Clover Moore spent on, yes. a, on a, an a art fixture. $122 million could um, fund many, many things, uh, schools and hospitals. Uh, but, but let's just talk about, you know, in reality. Uh, first of all, on the, on the question of whether or not I, I agree with it, um, of course, Love is love. I mean, I mean who Without am I that. to say whether somebody should get married or not? Uh, you and I have both had the privilege of marrying the people that we love uh, and I don't believe the government, and for that matter my view is that the church, yep. should have a say in who I marry. I agree. So, look, for me that's a no-brainer and I think most of Australia say it's a no-brainer and we won't get distracted by these thoughts about free speech and all the rest of it. That's rubbish. This is just about whether two people want to get married or not and why should I stand in the way. On the question of the $122 million, yes, it was the Liberal Party um, who agreed to that in the federal government. I wish they had have done it um, how they should have done it and should have put it to a vote of the parliament. And I might point out that, um, that when John Howard was the Prime Minister, um, the federal parliament changed the law um, of the Marriage Act um, without having to go to a plebiscite at all. So I'm not sure why they needed to come and ask us this time. Uh, we know it's just political. Yes. Um, uh, but this is the sort of stuff that I've been talking about. Politicians need to take a big, long look at themselves because people say this is a colossal waste of money. And not to diminish the importance of this topic, but we've got a lot more important things to worry about. This is something that should just happen, should have been done, Get on with it because we've got to worry about some other things in our world as well. I agree 100%. Now we're going to take it back another rung. What's your favourite song? Oh, gee. Well, see, I got stumped on that. Um, well, look, my karaoke song, it has to be April Sun in Cuba. Uh, Jessie's Girl is another one that I love to sing to the kids every now and then. Um, uh Oh, you know, I like I like a lot of music. Oh, you know, one of my favourite songs is 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 um, is the music from Carmina Burana, uh, and it's no idea what that is, but well, I'm sure it's, it's just, beautiful. It's just big, 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 you know, choral music, and it's we're going to end this podcast with that. I'll make that, sure that gets put in at yeah. the end. Oh, it's it's it's, it's <laughs> absolutely of biblical proportion that song. So I know you'll love it. So what do you hope for your kids in the future? I hope they live in a world which is safe, uh, which is free from, from um, um, terror. I hope they have uh, sufficient money to look after themselves and other people around them, that they live in a, a world that's fair, that's, um, that has an environment in which they want to live in, uh, and they hope for their future as well, and they have the opportunity to hope for their future and hope for their children's children. Uh, and that's what all of us want, is to be able to hope for the best for our children and believe that they do have a future. So I hope they have that opportunity too. Me too, mate. And what's next for Craig Chung? Well, I've still got three years of my term here in Sydney and I'm loving this here. 
um, I'm uh, just absolutely, um, absolutely deep in the, the issues of Sydney, and I just want to keep doing this. This is something which I love doing. So long term. Um, well, this is you know nobody ever says you know you know how long it is and all the rest of. And that's not to try and get away from it. It's just that I love doing what I'm doing right now. Let's see what happens in a couple of years' time. Live for the day because it could be your last. That's the way to go. Mate, well, I really, really appreciate you, Tom. I really love you and I really appreciate that you're an awesome human in my books. Um, I'm proud to call you a cousin. I'm proud to call you family. And there you go. There's another awesome human, Craig Chung. Thanks very much, buddy. Thanks, mate. And give my love to your mum. I will. See you too. Hey guys, thanks for listening. What an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJ Macker and look out for more Meteorate podcasts.